Hi, Riley. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. All right. Are you excited? <laughs> yeah, I am. All right. Let's begin. Hello, this is Aisha Khan, one of the hosts of Iconocast. Welcome to episode three. Today I'm here with Mr. Riley Knowles, an undergraduate student at Western University in London, Ontario, pursuing an honors bachelor of fine arts with a studio specialization and a minor in women's studies. Knowles is a recipient of the 2019 Gray Creative Arts Awards in Visual Arts, the 2018 Mackie Kreiderman Award for Excellence in Visual Arts, and the 2017 Tony and Betsy Little Scholarship in Visual Arts. Knowles has exhibited at the Wholesome Gallery in Milton, Ontario, the Top Centre for Creativity in London, Art Lab Gallery in London, as well as the FASM at the Mall Gallery in Milton, among many other venues. I have Riley here with me today to talk about a little about how his work relates to our theme of this semester, which is Uprooted. So we're going to start off with my first question, which is, on your website, you say that exploring your body's relationship to its environment and natural forces is central to your practice. Has this always been something you've inquired about, or was it something you became conscious of more recently? Yeah, so I, I think I started making art more consciously about my environment starting in the ninth grade. Um, I have a, a real love for the different landscapes in my neighborhood. There's this interesting juxtaposition between suburbia and then these um, agricultural spaces and man-made ponds where native species try to take over and there's sort of these beautiful blooming spaces of what you imagine that area looked like if there were no people there and um, that started becoming really prominent in my work when I started high school. You were our cover artist for Mythic last semester and had quite a few pieces in the publication. The Mandrake Field and the Bloodletting in particular also seemed to engage with the concepts behind this semester's theme of Uprooted. Could you describe those images for our listeners and discuss where the intersection of the natural world and the language of mythology and folklore lies for you? Um, I think I've been thinking a lot in the past maybe one or two years about how this dichotomy of life and death doesn't really exist at least that's how I feel about it I think that they're really the same thing and just trying to piece out that really wild idea trying to figure out like where does life start and death begin and vice versa so in the mandrake field I was thinking about imagery and mythology where life and death sort of coexist in this one Place. So I was thinking about the um, the mandrake plant, which in medieval mythology has um, a human form, and when it is pulled out of the earth, it screams and it kills whoever hears it. I was thinking about this strange force that's both plant and human that exists in this strange, like liminal space of being a living creature, but also bringing about death. So yeah, the mandrake field was thinking about that that strange in-between place. And then bloodletting was, I'm not really 100% sure about what I was trying to say when I was making it. I think I'm still working that out, but I was definitely thinking about 
my love of nature and the concept of naturalness and how naturalness is put up on a pedestal and what it means to be a trans person and value naturalness because I think there's a lot of discourse around whether or not medically altered trans bodies are natural and trying to figure out where I exist um, within that thought and that feeling. Definitely that's something putting naturalness on like that sort of hierarchy of like what exactly is natural is something we also discussed in our first episode of the series. We were talking about death and decay and you recently had an exhibition called A Long Way Deep with Sarah Demare and Andrew Fraser. I know it looked into the themes of death, decay, and underworlds, among other things, as well as the relationship between your body and the environment. Can you describe some of the pieces from the exhibit and tell us a little bit more about the concepts you were exploring in particular there? Yeah, one of the pieces I had wanted to do a really long time and which I got to do for this show was a sculpture I made called Funerary Doll. And I was thinking a lot about making artworks that are really gentle on my environment in their creation and in their inevitable decay. And I was thinking about that in relation to um, my own body and how that decays over time and what will eventually happen to that body and how my body is an accumulation of the environments that I've been in. Um, So I made this doll from clay that I dug up from my parents' backyard. And then I held it together like it it was it wasn't a fired clay so it was quite crumbly so I was able to hold the pieces together by dipping them in beeswax and then I put it in this sort of coffin-like box um, which I decorated with fabrics that I had dyed with wildflowers from around my home and little bits of um, things that I'd collected over my childhood sort of being a sort of scavenger (laughs) type personality and for me that was something important to make Um, but I had also made a collage out of some more fabrics that I had been dyeing for the past few years which were also sort of collated together with beeswax and it again again it was about making something that can die (laughs) as I think that It's a reflection of the body that's making it, and I think that everything should have the opportunity to fade away. You've (laughs) talked about dichotomies of taming and wildness, and I love your phrase, sympathetic monstrosities. What do these things mean to you, and what makes them such important topics for your art? Yeah, um, sort of the dichotomy between the tamed and the wild. I sort of draw this connection between the way landscapes are generally treated in my immediate vicinity and bodies that are valued and not valued in our society. So thinking about how we have to make these meticulous gardens without any branches or things littering the lawn and about how we have to master the wild places to use them to our benefit and how that same attitude is carried towards human bodies. We have to configure ourselves in a very specific way in order to be accepted, but there's something really beautiful about growing outside of those really tight limits and allowing yourself to be wild, even if that 
brings with it problems as well as rewards. So I think I draw and paint a lot of characters that live in spaces between life and death and animal and human and plant and human and male and female and these things that don't fit really easily into established dichotomies um, are often constructed as monstrous. So to me, creating these characters is about exploring that monstrosity and trying to find the beautiful positive things in it, but also embracing the tribulations and uneasy parts of those kinds of embodiment. And through those characters, I get to explore a lot of different ideas and concepts. They're really flexible and really helpful for me. Um, you do some work with textiles, including this coat is plastic free. Can you talk about the inspiration behind those works? Did it have anything to do with rejecting fast fashion and other environmentally detrimental ways of clothing ourselves? Yeah, definitely. The This Coat is Plastic Free was an artwork I made last year for an environmental art class with Kelly Wood, who's really fantastic. I I have this dilemma where I really like clothes, but the fast fashion industry is so terrible. <laughs> um, and I'm really interested in clothes because there are these things that record the way our bodies are and the way they move about in space. So I'm really interested in in clothing as logs of how we treat ourselves and treat our environments. So I, I've been making some articles of clothing that, yeah, again, this this idea of gentleness, like buying some items from thrift stores that are made from natural fibers, so reusing items and then dyeing them with plants that have been foraged sustainably from my immediate area and trying to make something really beautiful and then also hopefully functional. <laughs> So, like, in relation to that, Riley, um, you recently posted about uh, the Working With Nature art event at the Pickering Central Library, which you, I believe you did last weekend, right? Yeah. So what was that event about? Uh, what do you think is the importance of using eco-friendly materials in art? And is there anything that, like, I don't know, made you feel hopeful when you were, you said you were working with kids, or mm -hmm. like, that day? So, like, in terms of how, I guess, uh, we're moving forward with uh, working in a sort of and enjoying ourselves and discovering this world in an eco-friendly way. Yeah, um, so the Pickering uh, Culture Days event that I did a workshop at, I brought a bunch of samples of the yarns and fabrics that I've been dyeing for the past few years along with um, examples of the plants that they came from to help people make connections between um, these different colors and art materials and things that they could recognize from their neighborhood. And then I also had a, a really simple little watercolor painting demo where we were painting with ink made from recycled coffee grounds, uh, which is a really nice economical way to just literally brew an artist material for yourself. And it was really, really lovely. People were uh, really interested and asking lots of really thoughtful questions about the plants and the process of making these things. And um, most of the people who tried their hand at watercolor painting were little kids. And 
uh, little kids who like to make art and are not afraid of getting their hands right in there and doing whatever they want, which is really wonderful. I had one or two older kids who were really curious about the process of making these recycled materials specifically and asking really good questions about the plants that they came from and how to do that themselves. And that was really encouraging. I think that probably more and more kids are going to grow up into this knowledge of the crisis we're in right now, which wasn't necessarily something that I had when I grew up in, which is quite sad, but I'm it, it's unfortunate, but I feel a little bit encouraged knowing that there are people in this world who've always been on high alert about this, and hopefully they will take that um, <laughs> panic into their uh, youth and adulthood, and they can help out. <laughs> yeah. oh, we need that. But yeah, it's it's come to that point where... I mean, raising awareness isn't enough. We actually need to be doing things. At least the awareness is being made. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask, you mentioned earlier, I don't, it's piquing my curiosity, like how you find yourself at odds with the idea of naturalness. And for example, when I hear naturalness, I'm thinking of like all green things and stuff, but technically everything's been touched by man, mm. you know? But when you mention how be, as a trans person, that really like sometimes you come at odds with that right mm -hmm. so it's like it made me think like onto a more deeper level that like oh like there's also that idea of naturalness so mm -hmm. i mean if you feel comfortable and you want to talk about it, do you want to talk about it absolutely yeah i think that i've been thinking about this concept of naturalness a lot because a, a large part of me has idealized the idea of nature for a long time and it's become a part of my identity in the way that I move through the world. But I've had to confront um, this idea that people who um, seek medical intervention are made unnatural in some way, which is a pretty big double standard directed towards trans people because, for example, we wouldn't say that someone who... Uh, went through some kind of medical procedure for uh, like a yeah for cancer or for something yeah we wouldn't say like oh your body is unnatural now <laughs> um, even an amputee like now that I think yeah. about it like you would you wouldn't do that no and maybe that's like not a good example to be comparing trans people to like people with cancer <laughs> but um, oh, true. Maybe <laughs> yeah yeah and I think that I've I've had to well I've come to this thought that the idea of naturalness isn't really helpful in describing the world because I, I think about um, houses created by people from concrete and bricks and the houses made by bees, for example, and their beehives. And I, I don't think, I think those things are the same. They're just different ways of manipulating our environments to create things for ourselves. I think a better question is not, is this natural? I think a better question is, is this harmful? And the idea of harm is <laughs> very difficult to wrestle with too. Like it's very complex. Um, but I think I come at things now not from, is this natural and inevitably good? Because I think the ideas of natural and good are very connected right now. Um, but is this thing harmful it's making me think like definitely you're completely right like 
you could like we can go back to the 16th century and like is the black plague that's natural isn't mm. that natural yeah but, like <laughs> where, where are we gonna cure it i mean it's like i keep going i'm from the science background so i'm i yeah. keep going towards that like that disease sort of thing mm-hmm. but no you're definitely right especially with the that's opened my eyes about the house thing because you're right like a beaver den a bee's nest versus the homes we have and i feel like to the extent of which we've gone it was inevitable because, I mean, the human population is increasing. And, I mean, there's so many ways that we can also come up with excuses and ideas and reason and logic. But the thing is, arguing for all of that now doesn't change the fact that we're in danger. <laughs> that yeah. doesn't mean that the environment isn't going to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think of, is it natural? Because that's so labeling. And you're definitely right about you know the color green being good and, and natural like it's it's all in that one it's in the same boat mm. and i feel like we have to go into the boat and see like what what is that yeah i think i think the conversation has to be a little bit more nuanced around what is natural and what is nature because even the idea i feel like even talking about nature kind of talks about it as this thing that is not people like i think there's very much this this desire to be like man versus nature or man and nature or how man relates to nature and it's like is it but yeah like is it man nature oh my yeah hey i'm an animal and most of me is bacteria (laughs) like i don't know like i we're not distinct things and i think when you start to break down that um distinction between nature and people uh that's probably a good way to go because you won't want to harm other things when you realize that you kind of just are other things. Oh, my God. Like, I can't even tell you how much I I love art for this. Like, you, <laughs> literally, the intersection of philosophy, literature, science. <laughs> Here we are, art. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That was fun. Um, <laughs> finally, where can our listeners follow you and find more of your work? Um, probably the more most accessible way to see my work is on my Instagram page, which is Riley underscore Knowles. That's R-E-I-L-L-Y underscore K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Um, and I also have a website at RileyKnowles.ca. Thank you so much for joining us, Riley. That was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so this was the third episode of season one of Iconocast, the companion podcast to Iconoclast Collective. Thank you to our guest, Riley, for coming in to speak with us. I encourage you to send us your work. The deadline for uprooted submissions is October 19th. This podcast is produced by Iconoclast Collective, co-hosted and edited by Nara Montero and Aisha Khan. We are grateful for the generous support of Radio Western in this endeavor. This is Aisha Khan, and on behalf of the Icon team, thank you for tuning in.